that we would walk in his grace and his mercy, that we would look to him and trust in him, and that we would know him intimately. Uh, the prophet Jeremiah in Jeremiah 9.24, he wrote this. He said, but let him who boasts, boast in this, that he, he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. I thought I'd mention this and uh, this verse because we are to boast, but the only thing that we are to boast about and is not in anything, and definitely not ourselves, as we were reminded of a few minutes ago as we consider the holiness of God. And, and uh, he is the only one who is holy. He's the only one who is righteous, perfect, pure, blameless. But we do consider the fact that we can boast in him. And he desires that we would know him and understand him and walk with him. And so tonight, as we get into God's Word and we continue our study through the book of Ezra, that's the very thing that we're doing. We're, we're drawing closer to Him. We're desiring to hear from Him, that we may know Him more intimately, having a clearer picture of who He is and who He desires that we be as we walk with Him, as we are continually being molded and shaped into the image of our Lord you know, at, uh, at this point in the book of Ezra, we're this evening in Ezra chapter 6 is where we're at. It's at this point that the um, rebuilding of the temple has been challenged. It was challenged from the very beginning. And we know that uh, the rebuilding of, of the temple was actually put on hold for quite some time. And yet, by God's providence, it did not stop, stop. while Tatanai had sent a request to King Darius to produce, perhaps, proof that King Cyrus had uh, decreed that this work be initiated. This chapter captures the restoration of the Jewish people. As they rebuild the temple in Jerusalem... But it also does something very important throughout this chapter, and that is that it demonstrates God's faithfulness and his providence, using even secular authorities to accomplish his purposes as we see God's people persevere in what God has set them out to do. He had made a way for them to rebuild the altar and the temple, stirring the heart of King Darius to allow them to continue as we will see this evening. But it's not King Darius who did it. It wasn't the letter from King Cyrus that gave them permission. Ultimately, it was God's providence. As he makes it possible for them to reestablish their worship of God. You know, Job acknowledged this. In Job 42.2, he says, I know that you can do all things. And that no purpose of yours can be thwarted. Do you believe that? Father, we thank you, Lord, for this time uh, that we get to read your word, study your word. I pray, Lord, that by the work of your spirit that you teach us all things that pertain to you. And Lord, that if there is anything specific in our lives, Lord, that you administer to us. And so, Father, uh, we commit this time of study into your hands. We ask that your spirit would have his way with us. And, Lord, that you would have our, our complete and undivided attention this evening. We thank you for this time, and we pray this in Jesus' name. And all of God's people said, Amen. So, Ezra chapter 6, in verse 1. Says then Darius the king made a decree and search was made in Babylonia, in the house of the archives where the documents were stored, and at in Ecbatana the citadel that is in the province of Media, 
a scroll was found on which this was written, a record. And so it goes on. We're going to stop there, though, just for a moment. We know that people in authority who do not wish to allow themselves to be held accountable or who do not want certain groups of people to be given a voice have all the power and all the authority to stonewall any requests that are made by anyone. This could be done in in any number of ways, gaslighting, marginalizing, vilifying, or just plain ignoring the people and their concerns or requests. And these are just a few ways. And there's a bunch of little details that can be done within the list that I just gave. But it's interesting in this case, as we read there the first two verses, we see how it was that this was not the case with King Darius. God, in this instance, moved in the heart of King Darius as King Darius ordered that a diligent search of the archives of documents be made to find out whether a decree had or had not been made by King Cyrus allowing the Jews to rebuild the temple. Again, King Darius didn't have to do this. Again, even Tatanai didn't have to send, you know, for a request to see if uh, this was true or not. And yet, all of this was by the providence of God. It was taking place. You see, God's purpose was to restore the right worship of his people unto himself and to regather them in Israel. And so a diligent search was ordered and conducted. And lo and behold, a scroll was found on which this was written. A record. Verse 3 says, In the first year of Cyrus the king, Cyrus the king issued a decree concerning the house of God at Jerusalem. Let the house be rebuilt, the place where sacrifices were offered, and let its foundation foundations be retained. Its height shall be 60 cubits, and its breadth 60 cubits, with three layers of great stones and one layer of timber. Let the cost be paid from the royal treasury, and also let the gold and silver vessels of the house of God, which Nebuchadnezzar took out of the temple that is in Jerusalem and brought to Babylon, be restored and brought back to the temple that is in Jerusalem, each to its place. You shall put them in the house of God. Now, this was record of the decree that was originally made by King Cyrus, and and we went over this. We had studied this back in chapter 1. And this decree gave the Jewish people who desired to return to Jerusalem and to Judea to repopulate and also rebuild the temple and restore the worship of God. What King Darius discovered is that not only were the Jews given authorization to return to Jerusalem and Judea, but what was ordered was that the work be funded out of the royal treasury. And so, this is, these are things that perhaps for Tatanai, uh, it came as a surprise. Of course, he was expecting something different, and yet what he was hearing now was that this work was allowed, and that uh, all the finances were to be provided by the king. The items that were stolen or taken by King Nebuchadnezzar, well, all of those were to be returned as well and put it in their original place. The very same stones that brought about Tatanai's suspicion are the great stones that were decreed to be used to rebuild the temple in its original location, just as King Cyrus had ordered. You know, as we consider this, and we know that this record was found at the direction of King Darius. We know this to be true as God had providentially ordained all of this to take place. In Jeremiah 10.6 it says, There is none like you, O Lord. You are great and your name is great in might. And in Lamentations 3.22-24, through 24, 
It is written, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. All of these things, as we consider them, even up to this point, if there's any doubt in us that the Lord is great, that the Lord is mighty, that no one can thwart the plans of the Lord, we should take heart and be encouraged. Perhaps sometimes we are discouraged. We wonder what's happening with us. Our situations, our circumstances perhaps lead us in a way or we allow our hearts to go in, in a direction that, that it, it brings us down. That's why it's important to not only read the word, but also gather together as God's people and be reminded of these things. That there's really no one, there truly is no one that can thwart God's plans. There's no one greater than him. We should be able to say in the same manner, the Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. But it was truly amazing that King Darius found the scroll of this decree. A truly an amazing move of God on behalf of his people. Because this is what we ought to consider. This is what we should acknowledge that the Lord was moving on behalf of his people. To not only bless them, but also honor his name. So this was truly amazing. Even up to this point as we consider what has just taken place. Verse 6 says, Now therefore, Tatanai, governor of the province beyond the river, Shethar Bozani, and your associates, the governors who are in the province beyond the river, keep away. Let the work on the house of God alone. Let the governor of the Jews and the elders of the Jews rebuild this house of God on its site. Moreover, I make a decree regarding that you shall do for these elders of the Jews for the rebuilding of this house of God. The cost is to be paid to these men in full and without delay from the royal revenue, the tribute of the province from beyond the river. And whatever is needed, bulls, rams, or sheep for burnt offerings to the God of heaven, wheat, salt, wine, or oil, as the priests at Jerusalem require, let that be given to them day by day without fail, that they may offer pleasing sacrifices to the God of heaven and pray for the life of the king and his sons. So as King Cyrus had decreed, so it was that King Darius upheld that decree. What did he say? Well, he wanted to make sure that this was fully supported. The first thing that he sent word to Tatanai is to keep away. You are the governing authority there. In the province beyond the river, that is beyond the Jordan. But the first thing that he was told by King Darius is keep away from them. Do not interfere with this work. Do not interrupt it in any way whatsoever. He told him to let the rebuilding of the temple continue on its site. In other words, on its original foundation. In verse 8, there is that word moreover. And he continued on, on top of that, keep away from them, leave them alone, let them build this house on its original site, he said, moreover, I make a decree regarding what you shall do for these elders of the Jews, for the rebuilding of this house of God. The cost is to be paid to these men in full and without delay from the royal revenue, the tribute of the province beyond the river. Now, tribute means taxes. So yes, the funds that were used to rebuild the temple and to supply everything, all the materials that were necessary for the rebuilding of the temple was actually paid by the taxpayers, the very people who were rebuilding the temple. 
But the tax revenue could have been used for anything else. But it wasn't. It was used by order, by command of the king, to be used specifically for the rebuilding of the temple. Truly, again, God's providence. How it was that he had the heart of the king in his hand, and he was turning it wherever he willed. Verse 9, there's that word and, and there's more. And whatever is needed. If there was a required list of sacrifices, he said, let that be given to them day by day without fail. In other words, make sure that you stay up on any of their needs. Be attentive to their needs. Anything that they need for their sacrifices, make sure that you provide it for them. The animals, the oil, the wheat, the salt, anything. Make sure that you provide it for them. The king was moved to such a degree that he ordered that not only no one hinder, interfere with, or interrupt the work, but that nothing be withheld from them. All that they needed was to be supplied by the governing authorities under the direction of King Darius. That, that would be amazing. I mean, to put this in perspective, that would be like the governor telling the mayor of Riverside, withhold nothing from refuge. Everything they, they need, provide for them. Make sure that they're well taken care of. When they say they need such and such a thing, make sure that you provide it for them immediately. Do not withhold anything from them. This is what was happening. This is what King Darius had commanded, given orders to Tatanai, the governor of the province of that area, to do. For the Israelites. But it's interesting because the work had been going on up until this point. These Jewish men who had begun the work were willing to do so from whatever financial means they had. But now they had unlimited resources and it was all made possible by God's favor and using a secular king to do it. This is, again, we, we need to acknowledge the fact that this was none other than the hand of the Lord using Tatanai's original objection to not hinder, not stop, but further the work of God. Now, King Darius had um, an additional motive or purpose for doing this. And we see this in verse 10 as we read that. But let's read it again. It says in verse 10 that they may offer pleasing sacrifices to the God of heaven and pray for the life of the king and his sons. You see, King Darius observed the decree made by King Cyrus, but he also desired to have the Jewish God's favor. He wanted to be blessed by their God. And so he asked, hey, listen, provide all of this for them. That they may offer these pleasing sacrifices to their God, the God of heaven, and pray for the king and his sons. There's a promise that God made to Abraham in Genesis 12, 3. Where he said, I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. You know, if... Is that true today? That's an eternal promise. It is true today as it was back then. It is true today. And so Darius's move was a wise one. He wanted to be prayed for and God's blessings to be bestowed upon him as he blessed God's people and provided all that they needed, all the resources needed to restore the worship of God. Verse 11, and there's an also here, 
In verse 11 it says, Also I make a decree that if anyone alters this edict, a beam shall be pulled out of his house, and he shall be impaled on it, and his house shall be made a dunghill. May the God who has caused his name to dwell there overthrow any king or people who shall put out a hand to alter this, or to destroy this house of God that is in Jerusalem. I, Darius, make a decree, let it be done with all diligence. So in addition to this, there were also consequences for anyone who goes against the king's decree or even alters any part of it. In other words, manipulates it or challenges the spirit of the decree. We can challenge the spirit of the decree. Anyone can. And he warned that there would be severe consequences for anyone who did. What were the consequences? Well, they would be publicly executed and their house would be turned into a pile of rubble. And all of this was to be carried out without delay, withholding nothing that was commanded. In other words, Tatnai and Shethar Bozani, the original objectors, were to immediately carry out the king's orders completely. Or they themselves would suffer the consequences described. You know, sisters, you've gone through the book of Esther, right? You remember Haman. Because it was in a similar fashion that Haman's plot to murder Mordecai and the Jews was turned on him. In the book of Esther, as he was ordered to honor Mordecai publicly, truly this was something that enraged Haman. And in fact, he was hanged on the very gallows that he had intended to hang Mordecai on in Esther. You can read this in Esther's uh, two chapters, chapter 6 and 7. King Darius also invoked God's help in doing so. That the God of Israel would destroy whoever would dare alter this decree and hinder his people from completing the work. You know, it's, it's one thing to make this decree and warn of these consequences, but it's something else to invoke the wrath of God, right? Because this is exactly what he was doing. He, he, was, he was asking that God's judgment would be in alignment with what he had decreed, that these things would take place immediately for anyone who would alter this decree against the work that he had established or he had allowed to continue. God had established it. Proverbs 21.1 says, The king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he will. Again, we need to consider God. In the midst of all of this, it's truly amazing that King Darius got to the point. It's one thing, again, to allow the work to continue. Hey, listen, continue with the work. We won't be supplying you with anything. But go ahead. Go ahead. You have every right to continue this work. And sure, rebuild the temple. Rebuild the altar. Everything that is necessary to worship, you're going to have to figure out how to do it. He could have made it difficult for them, but that wasn't the case. Again, as we see what God is doing, we truly understand and we see clearly how it is that the king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord, and he is turning it wherever he wills. And so we consider who God is. Again, as as we are reminded of these things, we we are drawn to praise him, to know that he is able to do all things, that no one is greater than he is. Can you imagine if we express this type of faith in God? And we're, we're talking about what, what is described with King Darius. That we would have the same zeal for his word. Let no one alter God's word. May I not be the one to alter God's word. How can we alter God's word? 
How can we manipulate it? How can we twist it? How can we use it for our own benefit? Justify our own desires? Well, in many ways, I'm sure you can think of maybe one or two ways. Perhaps that you've already done that. I'm definitely one that has done this very thing. And, and this is what I do not want to do. I don't want to be one who alters God's word in my own life by twisting it or compromising it. Psalm 19:14 says, "Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer." So may we guard our speech. May we be mindful of the words we speak. Always seeking the Holy Spirit's guidance according to God's word in our communication that we would not allow ourselves to hinder, to interfere with, or, in, or interrupt the work that God desires to do. You know, as he finishes this word that he had sent back to Tatanaim, King Darius closes this with these words. I, Darius, make a decree. Let it be done with all diligence. For you and I, as we know God's word, sometimes we put it on hold. We put it on hold because we don't want to be obedient in the moment. It, it's delayed obedience. Okay, I will consider that, but I won't do it now. And in the moment that the Lord brings something to our attention, we should follow through with it with all diligence, immediately. Because delayed obedience is disobedience, right? Especially in that moment to where you think, well, I'm kind of like nervous or I'm afraid now of following through with what I know I need to follow through with. Well, we should really deny those things because the word says if we, if we desire to follow the Lord, we are to deny ourselves, pick up our cross, and follow Jesus. He is with us. He is faithful. And we know that uh, the one thing that pleases him is the expression of our faith. That is action to act on that which we know to be true. Let it be done with all diligence. And so it was the decree of the king. He sent word back to Tatanai. And in verse 13, we continue. It says, Then according to the word sent by Darius the king, Tatanai, the governor of the province beyond the river, Shethar Bozani and their associates did with all diligence what Darius the king had ordered. And the elders of the Jews built and prospered through the prophesying of Haggai, the prophet, and Zechariah, the son of Edo. They finished their building by decree of the God of Israel and by decree of Cyrus and Darius and Artaxerxes, king of Persia. And this house was finished on the third day of the month of Adar in the sixth year of the reign of Darius the king. And so they, uh, they moved on it immediately. They, they did what King Darius had decreed with all diligence, as we read here. Um, the people built, they prospered, they finished the building of the house of the Lord. Now, from the time that they resumed the work to the time that they finished the work, they completed the rebuilding of the temple, was a total of four years. The two prophets that were mentioned were Haggai and Zechariah. They were noted as playing a big part in the success of the work. How was that so? Well, they did one thing. They brought the word from God to the people. Resume the work. You need to keep going. They came with the word of God strengthening the hands of the people to resume the work to keep going. 
as God gave them favor to continue the work even while under protest. You know, that, that is what we do. Sometimes, again, you know, just we allow things to stop what God is doing in our lives. We, um, we start looking at our own circumstances and, and then we allow that to stop us in our tracks. And then comes a brother or a sister in Christ. They're sent to come bring you a word from God. The question should be, what's going on? Why have you stopped? Why have you withdrawn? But the encouragement should be, keep going. Get back up. Don't stop. Resume the work that God has started in you. God has this work for you. He is worthy to be served. So these two men played a huge part in strengthening the hands of God's people, bringing a word from him, and they resumed the work. They kept going, and now we have this report that the work was finished. It was done. God gave them favor, and they kept working at the encouragement of Haggai and Zechariah. Keep this in mind, just because God had ordained the work and gave them favor also did not automatically mean that, they, that the good work would be easy. Sometimes we think that, don't we? Oh, well, if it's God's will, then everything will be easy. Oh, it's, it's quite the opposite, by the way, brothers and sisters, it's quite the opposite. Let me warn you. Not that it would deter you from doing the work, from putting your hand to the plow, doing those things that God has called us to do and be. But God's will normally as we walk in it in obedience, the enemy does not like it. To advance the gospel, to advance in the performance of the Great Commission, to make disciples of all nations, to pour into each other. He'll make you tired. He'll get you real busy. He'll get you distracted on other things. He'll make every attempt to make life difficult for you, even to doubt your faith. He'll... Use all kinds of different things. Won't be easy, but we know it's the right thing. That's why when you get that encouraging word from your brother and sister in Christ to keep going, keep going. Do not lose heart. For in due season, if you do not give up, others. There's a reward that's awaiting those who continue on. And these, these rewards actually are, are not for your glory. They're for God's glory. We're heaping up this treasure in heaven, and it's all for God's glory. As, as we enter into his glory, we'll have these rewards that we get to cast before the Lord and worship him with those things. That's truly remarkable. That I know that we when we come into his presence, we'll, we'll want to have it no other way. The work is not easy, but it's a good work. And he is worth everything. Remember, God gave Israel the promised land, but they still face deep challenges in taking possession of it. And at the same time, God never left them. He never forsook them. So we have these two men who are mentioned, Haggai and Zechariah, but we also have the names of Cyrus, Darius, and also King Artaxerxes, who serves as king of Persia in the time of Nehemiah. We're not there yet as far as chronology is concerned. This gives us actually a glimpse into the next century, the work that was done in the next century 
when the city walls were restored by Nehemiah and the people that he led. And so we have basically an overview of the finished work, even going into the next century when Nehemiah is, uh, is sent to do this. But let's continue. Verse 16 says, And the people of Israel, the priests and the Levites and the rest of the returned exiles, celebrated the dedication of this house of God with joy. They offered at the dedication of this house of God 100 bulls, 200 rams, 400 lambs, and as a sin offering for all Israel, 12 male goats, according to the number of the tribes of Israel. And they sent the priests in their divisions and the Levites in their divisions for the service of God at Jerusalem, as it is written in the book of Moses. So remember that there was a celebration in chapter 3 of Ezra at the completion of the rebuilding of the altar. Uh, The rebuilding of the altar was significant because they could reestablish the sacrifices. And so they celebrated at that time. And they also celebrated at that time as the altar was finished, really the beginning of the work to rebuild the temple. So this was the celebration, as we see here, of the completion of the temple, which is now, as we know, fully functional. They offered sacrifices and a sin offering. This is very significant for the 12 tribes of Israel. Not for 10, not for 2, but for 12. All 12 of them. Implying that not only were they humbling themselves and confessing failure, not just for two tribes, Judah and Benjamin, but for all 12 tribes. Confessing their failure, but also confessing their faith in God who delivered them once more. All 12 tribes being represented is once again the unifying of the north and the south, the entirety of God's people. No tribe was lost. No tribe was left out. They're all accounted for as they are today. God doesn't lose anyone. All the 12 tribes are accounted for by God. He knows exactly who is who. Not only did they rebuild the temple, but they also reinstated the proper priestly service according to the law of Moses, as we read there. The rebuilding of the temple and the reestablishment of the priestly service enabled the Jews to now celebrate the Passover, now also, as they were commanded by God to observe it. Now, in two different places, the observance of the Passover, but also as we see the, uh, the celebration of the completion of the temple here with the offering of the sacrifices and the sin offering, one thing to note, and we'll note it in these two different sections of Scripture, in verse 16, it says, And the people of Israel, the priests and the Levites, and the rest of the returned exiles celebrated the dedication of this house of God with what? With joy. They were filled with joy. Take note, they had reestablished the worship of God. And in that work, they were filled with joy. Nehemiah 8.10, anyone know it? What is it? The joy of the Lord is our strength. Amen. Verse 19, let's continue. On the 14th day of the first month, the returned exiles kept the Passover. For the priests and Levites had purified themselves together. All of them were clean. So they slaughtered the Passover lamb for all the returned exiles, for their fellow priests, and for themselves. It was eaten by the people of Israel who had returned from exile, and also by everyone who had joined them and separated himself from the uncleanness of the people, peoples of the land to worship the Lord, the God of Israel. And they kept the feast of unleavened bread seven days with joy, for the Lord had made them joyful and had returned the heart of the king of Syria to them so that he aided them in the work of the house of God, the God of Israel. And so they, they kept the Passover exactly when it was uh, commanded for them to observe it, 
and exactly in the way that they were commanded to observe it by what was written in the law by Moses. By observing the Passover, the people were remembering the Lord. They were acknowledging him. They were remembering his deliverance. Him by his righteous right hand, by the mighty hand of God, delivering them from Egypt. Acknowledging God's love in doing so. Acknowledging his power. Acknowledging his faithfulness. That's one of the things that as we observe communion here at Refuge, that we're observing as well. His love, his power, his faithfulness. We get to rejoice as we, in one sense, we, we humble ourselves before a God who is willing to sacrifice himself for our sake. And in another sense, rejoicing because we are declaring his death until he returns. The death that we proclaim, that we observe, is the power by which our sins have been forgiven. By the shed blood of Jesus Christ on the cross. And so when we participate, when we partake of communion, we are reminded of these things. I cannot participate in communion enough. I need to be reminded often of what God has done for me. That I may humble myself before him. That I may remember the sacrifice of my God on my behalf. God's people, the Israelites, they were observing the Passover once again. And they were remembering all of these things. His power, his love, and his faithfulness. Verse 21. It tells us that the Passover was observed and participated in by not only the Jews who had returned from exile. It says, it was eaten by the people of Israel who had returned from exile and also by everyone who had joined them and separated himself from the uncleanness of the peoples of the land to worship the Lord, the God of Israel. In Ezra 4.3 says, but Zerubbabel, Joshua, and the rest of the heads of Father's houses in Israel said to them, You have nothing to do with us in building a house to our God, but we alone will build to the Lord, the God of Israel, as King Cyrus, the king of Persia, has commanded us. As we think about that, and then we consider what is happening at the conclusion of the rebuilding of the temple, and how it was that it wasn't just the Israelites who were observing the Passover and sharing in this meal together. But it was also non-Jews. They're all coming together. Initially, back in Ezra chapter 4 and verse 3, this was Zerubbabel's response to the adversaries of Judah and Benjamin who claimed to worship the same God as Israel and claimed that they wanted to build with them. Well, we know that Zerubbabel had that discernment and he understood, he knew that they were actually opposed to God, that they were the enemies of God. He said, you know, you have no part with us. Zero. You see, the difference between these two groups of non-Jews is that one group had not separated themselves from the uncleanness of the nations around them. They did not actually worship the same God. And yet the other group, in verse 21 of chapter 6, did indeed separate themselves from the vile, corrupt sins of the other nations and were welcomed to worship with the Israelites. You know, Walter Adeni said this, quote, Missionary work is more than the propagation of Christian theology. It is the purging of Asian stables, close quote. Let me um, translate that for you. You see, Asian stables is a reference to a great accumulation of filth and corruption. 
To clean the Ajahn stable would mean to clear away corruption. This reminds me of the missionary work that we encountered while in Haiti, uh, just a little over a year ago, with the people of Haiti. Reminded me of that because just because certain peoples are used to doing things certain ways within society and according to societal norms does not mean, and we can apply and should apply this to us here in America in SoCal, here in the IE, just because certain peoples are used to doing certain things within society in certain ways, according to societal norms, does not mean that it is to be tolerated or overlooked. Because there are some things that need to change within a people who profess to be followers of Jesus Christ because their culture no longer determines their way of living, but rather God's word does. You understand what I'm saying? When we were in Haiti and Moses and others that are here were there, there are some things that, sure, you may be used to doing things this way here, but that doesn't mean that they're, that they're okay, that they're right. And so I, I so appreciated that, that quote by Walter Adeni, and I'm going to repeat it. Quote, missionary work is more than the propagation of Christian theology. It is the purging of Ajin stables. Close quote. In other words... It is the process of sanctification to clear away the corruption that we once knew, or perhaps even still know today. That is true of us, as it is with the example that I gave of society in Haiti. Well, this was the case with these people. They forsook all. There are some things that need to change within a people who profess to be followers of Jesus Christ because, again, their culture no longer determines their way of living, but rather God's word does. That is the, the governing authority. Matthew sixteen twenty four. then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. In a similar way, we see here the people who chose to forsake their way of living, to acknowledge and worship the God of Israel, who were brought in and along to worship God along with Israel in the manner God had prescribed. And so as they kept the feast in accordance with God's word, remember all of this, and this required purity. Required purity, required holiness. The priests had prepared themselves and sanctified themselves for this very work. And with that, they were filled with joy. As the Lord, it says, as we read, the Lord had made them joyful and had turned the heart of the king of Assyria to them. They acknowledged that. It wasn't their work. It wasn't because they were so great. It wasn't because they persevered because of their tenacity. It wasn't because of any of that. They didn't impress the king. They were filled with joy because they attributed everything that was good to God. They said, all of this was because our God has shown us favor. He has been gracious toward us. And they withheld no expression of their joy of what the Lord had accomplished, even turning the heart of the king to have a hand in accomplishing God's will. Again, as God's people, is that, is that where our heart is? That's our attitude. That's our perspective. That everything that God is doing, God is doing for a purpose. Even through our ailments, through our circumstances, everything has a purpose for God. We should acknowledge and worship Him with great joy. So this brings us just to the simple point that God is faithful. He is able to do all things. 
No one, no thing can thwart his plans. May we as God's people trust in him and join him in the work that he desires to accomplish in and through us. If you're at a point to where you're pausing, you're withdrawing, get back into it. Keep going. God desires to use all of his people to build the body of Christ up as it does so in sound doctrine and continuing to advance the gospel of Jesus Christ within the people and also outside of the people that others may come to Christ and also know a relationship with Jesus Christ as they know God's salvation by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you. Lord, that as we see, hear how it is that you providentially moved. You moved the heart of the king, Lord. You moved in the heart of your people. You sent word to them by Haggai and Zechariah. Lord, you even used... Lord, the, um, the suspicions that Tat and I had of your people to send word to King Darius to further establish and even help out your people to fulfill your plans and purposes there in Jerusalem, Lord, to reestablish the worship of their God, you, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Or Lord, Lord, this is truly wonderful. May we set aside, Lord, may we part ways with those things that are opposed to you, dishonor you, and bring you shame. May we draw near to you with pure hearts and clean hands. And Lord, have great joy knowing that we belong to you as we have placed our faith in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And may we as your people, Lord, become many here at refuge. That as we set our hands to the work that you have ordained for us to fulfill, that you would be blessed, you would be honored, you would be glorified. And many would come not only to salvation, but be built up by your word. We thank you, Lord, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.